Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> this morning, we conclude uh, the journey that we began at uh, the beginning of this year through the book of Ephesians. Paul has one last charge that he would give to us in light of all that we have seen so far in this letter. And so, uh, look forward to diving in now to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 10. And go to the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You have an enemy. You have an enemy who is stronger than you. An enemy who outnumbers you. And an enemy who wants your life. The enemy wants you to question God. He wants you to doubt God's word. 
He wants you to think that you know better. He wants you to think that wrong is right and right is wrong. He wants you to think that God does not know what is best for you. He wants you to trust in yourself and lean on your own understanding. He wants you to be anxious in everything. He wants you to believe on the one hand that you're righteous enough to please God and to believe that you're too sinful for God to save. He wants to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. He wants to drive a wedge between parents and children. He wants to see you grumble. He wants to see you angry. He wants to see you callous. He wants us to think that our real enemy in our church is one another. He wants to see gossip flourish among us. He wants to see bitterness fester in us. He's happy for us to come to church every week, as long as we're just going through the motions. He's happy for us to be really involved in church, as long as by that we just mean it's a social club. He'd be happy for this room to be filled, as long as it's because we're just giving people what they want. He's happy for us to have tons of relationships with lost people, as long as we're becoming more like them and keeping the gospel to ourselves. Your enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he wants to devour you. The scriptures tell us that. Your enemy is stronger than you, the enemy outnumbers you, and the enemy wants your life. But if you are in Christ, you have everything that you need to stand firm against this enemy. If you are in Jesus, you have the King of kings and Lord of lords who has already won victory on your side in your battle against this very real enemy. As believers in a crucified and resurrected Jesus, our God has given us everything, everything that we need for life and godliness. Since the beginning of our study in Ephesians, we've seen these blessings of the gospel that God has lavished on us in Christ. And what I want us to see in this passage this morning is that his blessings are for our battle. If we would just take advantage of all that is accessible to us in Christ, we can stand firm. We can stand against this enemy. So, stand firm. Stand firm. We'll see in this passage that we can stand in Christ if we stand in God's strength, if we stand in God's armor, if we stand in prayer, and if we stand together. So let's dive in now to Ephesians chapter 6 and see that in Christ we can stand firm. Number one, stand in God's strength. Stand in God's strength. Look with me at verses 10 and 11 again. Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
as we look at this command, Paul is not telling us to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. He's not telling us to man up. This is not a command for the strong. It's a command for the weak to be strengthened. Our strength is in the Lord. It's in His armor. It's not in and of ourselves. We do not have in and of ourselves the ability to stand against our very real enemy who is waging against our soul. But in the Lord, in Jesus, we have everything we need. We have strength if we are strengthened by Him. We have strength if we put on His armor. And we must We must stand in his strength. If we are going to stand, his strength must be empowering our standing because we need to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, this enemy that is against all of us. This enemy, Paul says, is scheming against us. He said in verse 14 of chapter 4, that his schemes are deceitful. Oftentimes, I don't think we realize that the devil is scheming against us because his schemes are so deceitful. Often, the very thing he is using to try and defeat us looks to us like a pathway to victory. This is what was true in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent came to our great-grandmother Eve, he didn't come with her He didn't come to her with an offer to disobey God. No, he, he came to her offering a chance to be like God. The thing that looked to her like a pathway to victory was the very same thing that our deceitful enemy was using for her downfall. One of the greatest schemes that our enemy uses against us, a deceitful scheme that looks like a pathway to victory, but really it's not. One of his greatest schemes is to make us believe that our real enemy is flesh and blood. Look at verse 12 again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Your greatest enemy is not a human. Your greatest enemy is not a human. There is real evil in humanity. Don't get me wrong. But your greatest enemy is not a human. I don't think it's an accident that this passage comes immediately after Paul's instructions on relationships. Paul's instructions on the marriage, on children and parents, on slaves and masters. Because often it is these arenas that become the battlefield for this spiritual battle that we wage against our enemy. But too often, the devil deceives us into fighting the wrong battle against the wrong enemy for the wrong victory. The devil would love to deceive you into thinking that your spouse is the enemy. But the real battle of marriage is for your spouse, not against your spouse. The devil would love children at home for you to think that your parents are the enemy and that victory is just getting out as soon as you can. But the real battle of being a child who loves Jesus 
in a home, the real battle is to find joy in honoring Jesus by submitting to your parents, even when you don't like it. The devil would love to deceive us into thinking that our boss is our enemy or our coworker is our enemy. But the real battle, again, is for honoring Jesus by submitting to the leaders he has put in our life and finding joy in submitting ultimately to Jesus for his glory. Your greatest enemy is not a human. Our real enemy is spiritual. Spiritual rulers and authorities and powers. You you may remember that we saw these terms back in chapter 1. And the good news is that Jesus has already been exalted over these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When God raised Christ from the dead, he exalted him to his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And so the enemies that we fight are enemies that are already defeated. We fight enemies that are already under the rule of Jesus. But we do live, as we've said, between the already and the not yet of Jesus' victory. One uh, writer put it that we live between D-Day and V-Day. Ultimate victory has been accomplished, but it hasn't been realized. We're not experiencing the fullness of victory as we continue to wage against these spiritual rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But even as we wage against these enemies, we do so in the victory of Christ. We battle in Christ's victory. We battle against enemies whose days are numbered, whose time is short, who have already been defeated. And so we fight in Christ's victory. So Paul repeats himself in verse 13, and he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We can stand in this evil day. We can stand against our enemy who has already been defeated. We can stand, but only, only if we stand in his armor. Only if we rely not on ourselves, but on our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can stand, but only if we stand in God's strength, and then number two, stand in God's armor. In those first few verses, as Paul encouraged us to be strong in the Lord, he really is communicating that the way we are strengthened in the Lord is by putting on the armor of God. The practical way that we live out being strengthened by God is by putting on the resources that we have in Christ. The first resource that God has given us to fight our battle is the belt of truth. Now, to understand not only this piece, but really all of this idea of the armor of God, we need to understand that Paul didn't invent this metaphor of armor of God. He's actually borrowing it from God's words through the prophet Isaiah. Would you turn with me uh, to Isaiah chapter 11? We're going to spend a good bit of time in uh, Isaiah, so be sure and keep a finger there. Isaiah chapter 11. 
in this passage, we see God foretelling through Isaiah about the Messiah, the offspring of Jesse, David's father, a king who would come and reign in righteousness. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 3 through 5, we see a description of this coming Messiah. It says in verse 3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness, or truth, the belt of his loins. So what we see here is that this coming Messiah, our King Jesus, reigns not by what looks right, or merely sounds right, but our king reigns with the objective truth of God. The objective truth of God. And so if we are to receive our Messiah's belt of truth and put it on for our battle, we must not rely on the opinion of man, but on the objective truth of God. Get your theology from God's word, not from the opinion of man. Don't just believe it's true because, you know, I I had a friend who told me this one time and it really sounded good. Or, you know, I heard a preacher say one time, although I am an advocate for listening to preachers as long as they're speaking God's word, don't get your theology from uh, an image on Facebook. Don't get your theology from, uh, from a cute sign or a bumper sticker. Be- because this is not a game. This is war. And if all you bring to your battle is bumper sticker theology, you will not be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But if you clothe yourself with the objective truth revealed in God's word, you will be able to stand So don't rely on the opinion of man. Don't rely on just what sounds good or looks good, but rely on the truth of God that we have available to us. God has given us his truth. And so if we are to stand, we must clothe ourselves in his objective truth. The second piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Flip over to Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, the Lord paints a bleak picture of what's happening in Israel. Their sin has made a separation between them and God. Injustice reigns in the land. And among the people of God, everywhere you look, there is no salvation to be found. And so as we look at verse 14 of Isaiah 59, 
we see God looking upon this land and his response. Isaiah 59, and starting with verse 14. He looks at the land and he sees justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on, a, uh, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. As God looks on his people and sees among them no help in and of themselves, no hope in and of themselves, rather than waiting around for us to figure it out, God put on his armor. God took care of business. God interceded on our behalf when we could not save ourselves. He put on his breastplate of righteousness in order to save his people. As Paul instructs us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's an acknowledgement that In and of ourselves, we do not have righteousness, just like we see in Isaiah 59. In and of ourselves, we don't have righteousness. If we're going to be armed with righteousness, God has to give us his breastplate for us to put on. And that's exactly what he's done. You might remember in chapter 4 and verse 24, when Paul told us to put on the new self, kind of like putting on armor, He told us that that new self that God has given us is created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God gives us righteousness to clothe ourselves with. And so in Christ, we can do what is right. He gives us a new self to put on that's created with his character. We can arm ourselves with righteousness, doing the right thing. One of the greatest things that we can do to protect ourselves against the enemy is simply by doing the right thing, by asking how we can be imitators of God as beloved children, how we can love like Christ. Because in Christ, doing the right thing is not an impossible task. Jesus has given us his righteousness. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. We can Put on the breastplate of righteousness and protect ourselves against the attack of the enemy by simply doing the right thing. The third piece of armor that Paul tells us about is the shoes of the gospel readiness, if you will. Shoes of gospel readiness. Flip over to Isaiah 52. Paul tells us the shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
And we see in Isaiah 52 and verse 7, again, Isaiah is looking ahead to the day when God would reign in righteousness. And he says in verse 7 of Isaiah 52, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah looks ahead and sees a messenger, a messenger who would come preaching a gospel of peace. Paul told us back in chapter 2, you might remember, that ultimately this messenger is Jesus himself. Paul wrote in chapter 2 and verse 17 that he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Ultimately, Jesus is the messenger who preaches the gospel of peace, whose feet are ready to come and seek and save the lost. And as those who have now received this gospel of peace, as those who now have peace with God and peace with all those who are in Christ, the gospel of peace gives us our marching orders. We are to equip our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The readiness that comes from being recipients of the gospel is readiness to go and share the gospel. I'm so grateful that we had an opportunity to hear from Greg this morning and hear about what the Lord is doing uh, to save souls on the border. Um, What I've always admired about Greg and Becky is just a laser focus on souls, a laser focus, a readiness to preach the gospel of peace. And spiritual eyes, eyes opened by Jesus to look at the border and see not a crisis, but a gospel opportunity, an opportunity to go and have feet that are ready to go, ready at any moment's notice to go and to bring the gospel of peace because there are souls on the line. The real battle, remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is for people, for souls. And so if we are to stand in this battle, we first of all must know what the real battle is, and we must arm our feet with readiness to share the gospel that we have received ourselves. May our feet be ready to carry the gospel. The fourth piece of armor that Paul tells us about here is the shield of faith. Let's flip back to Ephesians 6 now. In verse 16, Paul writes, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So this shield that Paul is writing about, he uses a word that described a a shield that Roman soldiers would have carried in battle. And they had two shields. One was a smaller one, but this one is a large uh, door-shaped shield that could cover a soldier's entire body. And they would take these wooden door-shaped large shields and they would drench them in water so that if their enemy were to fire flaming 
arrows at them, that flame would be extinguished as it hit their shield that was drenched in water. Well, in order for us to take up the shield of faith, we need to drench ourselves in the promises of God. Our God has ordained that we would protect ourselves from the enemy's attack, that we would extinguish our enemy's flaming arrows by being drenched in his promises, by having faith in what he has promised. When the enemy fires at us the flaming arrow of accusation, you've gone too far this time. You've gone past the grace of God this time. If we let that hit us, we'll give in to doubt. We'll give in to despair. But we can extinguish that flaming dart of the enemy with the shield that has faith in God's promise that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy may fire the flaming arrow of temptation at us to say, hey, just do whatever feels good. That's what you need to do. That's what will bring you ultimate happiness. And if we let that arrow hit us, it leads to emptiness and pain. But we can quench that dart. We can extinguish that dart by clinging to the promise that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The the enemy might fire the flaming arrow of of self-confidence that Your happiness comes when you're in control of all things. You just need to take more control. You need to trust in yourself more and and control more details of your life. But if we let that flaming arrow pierce us, that leads to anxiety. It leads to pride. But we can extinguish that arrow of the enemy by trusting in the promise of God that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Stand against the flaming darts of the enemy by drenching yourself in the promises of God and putting your trust in what he has promised us. The fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. Uh, We don't need to turn back there, but in Isaiah 59, you might have noticed that that was one of the pieces of armor that God himself took up When we could not save ourselves, our God put on a helmet of salvation. Our God took up his armor in order to save us. And for our battle against the enemy, he now gives us the helmet of salvation, of his salvation that he earned for us, to put on in order to protect ourselves against the enemy. One of the greatest things we can do to protect ourselves against the attack of the enemy is by reminding ourselves of the salvation that our God has won for us in Jesus Christ. By preaching the gospel to ourselves that God is holy, we are sinners, Jesus saves us, and Jesus is making all things new. We, we can protect our hearts against idolatry by reminding ourselves that God is holy. We can protect our hearts against pride by reminding ourselves that we are sinners. We can protect our hearts against self-righteousness by reminding ourselves that Jesus saves us. And we can protect our hearts from despair by reminding ourselves that Jesus is making all things new. Protect yourself by putting on the helmet of salvation. 
And then lastly, Paul tells us about the one offensive weapon, offensive weapon, although it is offensive, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the message of the gospel, the sword that we are to wield in this battle against our greatest enemy is the message of the gospel. With this sword, with this weapon that God gives us, we are to penetrate spiritual darkness with the goal of both piercing the enemy and freeing those who he has as captives. Uh, One writer puts it this way, that the sword of the Spirit is the faithful speaking forth of the gospel in the realm of darkness so that men and women held by Satan might hear this liberating and life-giving word and be freed from his grasp. Or we could say our call to war is to love the captive soul but to rage against the captor. So if we're going to wield this sword, if we're going to take up the sword of the Spirit, the message of the gospel, we must be ready to handle it. We must be ready to handle this sword that our God has given us. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a drill team or students in ROTC uh, uh, twirling guns. I, so I'm, I'm an ignorant civilian here on these matters, as you can probably tell already. But the, the, you might have seen these you know, spinning exercises with rifles and whatnot. Well, if you also are an ignorant civilian like me, uh, you might have wondered, why are they spinning guns? Why are they twirling? I mean, it looks like, you know, glorified, glorified flag twirling. No offense, please. Um, but it was, it's just like, what, what are they doing? Well, I'm glad that someone finally told me what the purpose is of, this, of these uh, gun spinning. In battle, dropping your weapon is the difference between life and death. You have to be ready to handle your weapon no matter what, no matter what you're hit with, no matter what circumstance you're found in. If your gun is spinning in the air, you have to be able to get it and get a hold of it and handle it no matter what because life and death are at stake. And the same is true for us. If we are not ready to handle our weapon in any circumstance, if we aren't totally comfortable with this weapon, we won't be able to stand against the enemy. We must have practice handling our weapon. We must be ready to handle the word of God. We must be ready with the message of the gospel so that in the heat of battle, when it's too late for preparation, we are ready, no matter what hits us, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, armed with the inspired word of God, ready to pierce the darkness and free captives. Because, as Revelation 12, 11 says, we will conquer the serpent by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. In Jesus, we have everything we need for our battle. We have his objective truth. We have his righteousness. We have his gospel of peace that makes our feet ready. We have his promises that we trust in to protect ourselves against the enemy's darts. We have his salvation that we put on as a helmet. And we have his word that we wield as a sword to pierce the darkness. We can stand in this evil day if we take up everything that Jesus has already given to us in himself.
We stand in God's strength. We stand in God's armor. And third, we stand in prayer. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So prayer is not a piece of armor exactly, but it is foundational to spiritual warfare. Prayer is indispensable for spiritual warfare because our strength comes from the Lord. We are to be strengthened in His might, in His power, and prayer is dependence. Prayer is depending on the Lord, the source of our strength. And here, we even see an explicit reference to dependence in prayer because we are to pray in the Spirit at all times. Aren't you glad that we have the Holy Spirit when we pray? The Holy Spirit who Paul said in chapter 2, verse 18, gives us access to the Father. Our prayers get through because of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who, who prompts us to pray, who changes our hearts to align with God's will as we pray. And even when we don't know what to pray, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. It's a great thing that we can pray in the Spirit. Did you notice in this verse the word all, how often Paul used that? We're to pray at all times, all prayers and supplications, all perseverance for all the saints. We are to pray at all times, he says. We're to develop a reflex for prayer in our lives because prayer is dependence and there is no time that we do not need to depend on the Lord the source of our strength. We are to pray all prayers and supplications. We are to pray both for our daily bread and pray hallowed be your name. We're to pray for forgiveness of sins and to deliver us from the evil one. All prayers and all perseverance. We can stop praying When our enemy stops scheming, if we are to stand against the enemy, we must persevere in prayer. We must endure in prayer. And we should pray for all the saints. God has ordained that your brothers and sisters would have victory in their spiritual battle through your prayers. So we are to pray for all the saints as we all stand together in the battle that we find ourselves in. In verses uh, 19 and 20, in light of the fact that Paul is asking for prayer for all of the saints, he specifically asks for prayer for himself. Look at verse 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Isn't it striking? Here Paul has been so bold with the gospel that he's in prison for it. And he's still asking, would you pray that I would be bold for once? (laughs) Because Paul knows where his boldness came from. 
The boldness that got him here, the boldness that he needs to continue to be faithful in his battle only comes from the Lord. And so if he is to stay bold, if we are to stay bold, it must come through depending on the Lord in prayer. May we pray this prayer for boldness for ourselves as we seek to be ambassadors in or out of chains? Would we pray this for for each other as we lock arm in arm in this battle that we fight together? And would we pray this prayer of gospel boldness for, for all those that we are in partnership with throughout the world in gospel ministry? Would you pray this prayer of gospel boldness for Greg and Becky as they go and preach the gospel to people who need to hear it? Pray this prayer for our team that's going in June to, to equip these uh, Sudanese brothers to take the gospel to, to people who have not heard it, who have no access to it. May we pray for gospel boldness because the only way we will have it is if it comes from the Lord himself. So we need to be in prayer for these things. We need to stand in God's strength, stand in God's armor, stand in prayer, and then finally stand together. Look with me again at verses 21 and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was a ministry partner of Paul. He sent him with this letter. He also sent him with the letter to the Colossians in this instance and uh, others at other times. Tychicus was a, a ministry partner, a, a brother in not only the Lord, but in ministry. Paul, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who had a radical story of conversion, who had an incredible ministry from Jesus himself to make the mystery of the gospel known, was not a super saint. He was not a lone ranger. He wasn't going at it alone, and neither can we. He was going at it with partners in ministry. So we should never go into battle alone. We need each other. We are in this battle together, this battle that we are all facing. We're, you're not alone. It may feel like that. It may feel like no one else could possibly understand what you're going through. It may feel like you're the only one in battle and everyone else is in peacetime. But I promise you, we are all in this battle together. And so we need to act like it. We need to pray for one another. We need to be honest with one another about what flaming darts of the enemy are coming at us so that we can pray for one another, so we can encourage one another with promises of God to drench ourselves in, in order that we might protect ourselves from the enemy. We need each other. We should never go into battle alone. In Christ, we can stand firm against the enemy. The enemy is stronger than us, but Christ is infinitely stronger than our enemy. He has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, he has been exalted and given the name that's above every other name. So stand firm in Christ. Let's pray together. 
Father, you have given us everything we need to fight the battle that we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that we would know your word, that we would know your truth, that we would know your gospel, that we would know what is available to us in Jesus so that we can take advantage of it, so we can access it, so we don't leave anything on the shelf, so that we are fully armed for the battle before us, so that we would fight in your strength. Lord, I pray for every single one of us this this week, this day, we are being fired on by the enemy with flaming darts. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm by clinging to your promises. I pray that we would stand firm with your gospel. I pray that we would stand firm in your truth. Lord, as we go out this week as your ambassadors, as we're fighting this battle, I pray that we would wield the sword of the Spirit, that we would pierce the darkness and free the captives. Lord, that we would fight in your strength for your glory. In the name of Jesus, pray all these things. Amen.